would you open your Bible to Hebrews 10, 19-25? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, this is our text this morning, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and I've been laboring with it all week long because it is, it is so meaty. There's so much to this passage. He summarizes basically the argument of 10 chapters and 18 verses in 10, uh, 19. And those, those few little passages, he summarizes the flow of the entire argument, and then he follows it up with, let us, let us, let us. It's a very easy passage to diagram. Uh, if you look at it, uh, it says, therefore, and then based on what he's saying, therefore, let us do three things. Right? It's, it's almost as though he wrote this for 21st century uh, preachers who need three points to all of their passages. And it's important that we understand this because we're coming up on an equally difficult passage. If you peek ahead in verse 26 to the end, it is a very difficult passage. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So there's a lot to this next chunk. And so it's really important that you hear clearly what's being said in 19 through 25 so that you can understand 26 uh, through the end of the passage. So let's understand this passage together. Verses 19 through 25 summarize what he said in the past. And based on what he says, he gives us three clear instructions on what to do in the future. So what's the therefore, therefore? He starts verse 19 with therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, Since we have a high priest, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a a true heart. Let's get the therefore parts before we get to the let us parts. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, in light of Jesus's precious and powerful atoning blood and the new and living way he opened up to us, his superior great high priestly work, and the unprecedented confidence we now have to enter into God's presence. Therefore, based on all those things, that's what we've covered from the beginning of Hebrews, is that Jesus is superior. This was a congregation, this was a group of people, this was a community mixed with believers and unbelievers. And many of them who had named the name of Christ, we read in 1038, the very first sermon in the series, they were, they were carried off into prison, they had property confiscated, they were beaten, uh, there was a lot of persecution that happened. And so, just like what would happen in this church, uh, is that if you started to suffer personally because you stood up and said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and, uh, and I believe in the Bible, and I believe in God, and, and, and if you begin to do that, and that a hostile culture might begin to persecute you. 
And the temptation for you would be, this hurts, right? This persecution bothers me and I don't like it and it's, it's difficult and, and I can trace the persecution back to the confession that I made in Jesus Christ. And so the simple fleshly temptation is, just don't believe in Jesus anymore. Just, just walk away from Jesus and go back to what you were doing before. John 6.66 says that many people did that, right? At that time, no, the disciples turned away. They no longer followed Jesus anymore. There is a cost to following Jesus. He, he said it this way, that, that which man of you, if you want to build a, a house or if you want to go to war, that you don't consider the cost of what it takes. And if you don't have enough troops or if you don't have enough resources to build, then you stop. And he's saying that in the context of if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to, it's going to cost you something. It cost him something, and though salvation is free, when you make that commitment to Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins and you believe in Jesus Christ, it's going to cost something. It's, it's going to cost. If they persecuted him and they killed him, they're going to not treat us any differently. Why? Because the world loves darkness, John 1 says, right? The world does what the world does. It's, it's in love with sin and darkness. And so when light shines in a dark room and sins are exposed, people don't like the guy holding the flashlight, right? And so if they persecuted Jesus, who was the great flashlight, right, or the big light, they're going to persecute us, the little light within us. And that's what this church faced. That's what this community of believers faced. They faced the temptation to reject their confession of Jesus and just go back to what they were doing before. Now what they were doing before was Hebraic Judaism, Temple sacrificial system, Levitical law. I doubt that there are very many of you in this room that are tempted to go back to Levitical Judaism. Probably not at all. But you're tempted to go back to something, something to what you were doing before you met Christ or something that you stumbled into along the way as you become a believer. You're tempted to go backward and to reject your faith in Jesus as things get hard. James 1 says that you're going to go through trials and temptations and difficulties. And and as you go through those, they're there to purify your faith. It's like fire. It's there to test your faith, to give you endurance. And you're to persevere through those, to press into Christ, to press further into your relationship with God, that your faith would be strengthened. That you would say with a guy like Polycarp, who at 86 years old is strapped to a stake and fire is put around him. And they say, Polycarp, in the second century, if you'll just reject Jesus, we won't light the match. And he said, 80 and six years have I followed him and he's never done me any wrong. How could I at this moment reject him? Bring on the flames, basically. Well, what enables a guy to say that? Little tests and trials along the way that build his faith to where this ultimate test of faith is simple for him. It's a simple decision. I'd rather die today, here and now, than to reject the Jesus who saved me. That's what all those little tests and trials are for. So these... These Hebrews were tempted to go backward. And so all along, the entire book of Hebrews is is an entire message, a letter to them saying, don't go backward. That's written to the believers in Christ. It's also addressed to unbelievers within the community that have not yet put their faith in Jesus. They're still on the sidelines. They're uh, looking in on this community of believers. They're attracted to the love. They're attracted to the worship. They're attracted to the word, to the teaching. They're attracted to Jesus but they're content to sit on the sidelines and not give their life to Jesus, not fully commit, not believe, not repent. And so the the letter is equally written, not just to those who are in Christ, but to those who are on the sidelines, considering Christ. 
And so he, he goes through the whole passage. He's saying, therefore, in light of uh, the angelic messengers who delivered the gospel, uh, the Old Testament, um, Jesus is a greater messenger. In light of the angels, in light of the high priest, in light of the Levitical sacrificial system, in light of uh, all the work that Jesus did in bringing about a better covenant, all along he's set up little arguments about what they were going back to, and he's saying Jesus is better than that, and Jesus is better than that, and Jesus is better than this, and he's better than that, and he's better than that. You don't need to go backward to something that's not going to satisfy you. You intuitively know that if you're in Christ, because you've, you've tried to do something that used to give you great joy and pleasure, maybe sinfully, and it doesn't satisfy you any longer. Because you've got a new taste, a taste for Jesus, a taste for the new life and the joy and the hope and the peace and all the great accomplishments that he gave to you in in Christ. And so you've tasted and seen that Jesus is good and that it's great to be in the fellowship and it's great to be among the believers and it's great to participate in the word and the worship and all those things. And so to go back, there's no taste for that any longer. It doesn't satisfy you. It never really did. So in light of all those things, therefore, therefore, in light of those things that happened, Press forward in these three ways. He gives us specific therefores. The first one he says is by the blood of Jesus. Now, there was a whole sermon a few weeks ago about blood. It was a really kind of gory uh, sermon. You're welcome to listen to that. But basically, if you understand that blood is life and life is precious, that you understand that that Jesus shed what was most precious to him, his life. Everything about um, his life was in his blood, and he gave that. He gave that. You may have picked up on the hymn that was being played during the Lord's Supper. Uh, there is a fountain written by William Cowper. It says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's that understanding that, that it is by Christ's blood that we experience cleansing. Though our sins were like scarlet, though our sins were like crimson, he, he washed them as white as what? As white as snow. Because of Jesus and His sacrifice for you, you're forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He accomplished something for you by His, by his blood. That's a sermon a few weeks back. We also talked about the great high priestly work and all that that entailed. Uh, You understand uh, some of those things as well. I want to press forward, though, into this understanding of a new and living way because it has an interesting word in it. You see in in verse 20, it says, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, which is his flesh. Now, what is this new and living way? Well, the word new is not the usual word new in the Greek. It's the only word, the only time this word is used in the entire uh, Greek New Testament. And it's prospatos, which means the freshly slain, freshly killed way. This is what it's describing, is that the, the sacrifice of Jesus was so potent that here 40 years later, After the sacrifice, it's still described as freshly slain. From the word pros, which is to, and pheno, which is to properly or purposefully kill. Now, if you're a hunter, you immediately understand that word. You probably remember a time when a a father or an uncle or a grandfather, or in my case, a, 
a friend in college uh, handed me a shotgun and showed me what to do with it and how to walk with it and what not to do with it and how important it was not to just flippantly, we just don't shoot around in the woods, but we, we go with a purpose, we go with intent, we go, uh, this has a, a, a purpose, and, and whatever we take, and that day we took a wild hog, and, and, uh, and we had it butchered, and we, we ate it, and, and in all those ways, uh, there was a reason why we did what we did. And this is the specific word, pheno, is that it's purposefully, properly uh, killed, and this is the word that the author uses to describe the new and living way. The new and living way is that Jesus was, he was freshly slain with a lasting sacrifice. In 40 years time, from the time Jesus died on the cross to the time this may have been written, it could have been 30 years or so, it's likely written before the destruction of the temple in 70. So it's about that time range. Under the old Levitical system, there would have been thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices annually times 30 or 40 years. So for them to say that Jesus in this new way was freshly slain through the curtain, which is his own flesh, we have a way into the presence of God. That changes things. That shows the superiority of this new covenant. It shows how incredibly important it was what Jesus did. You remember when Jesus cried out and he gave his last breath, uh, what, what happened to the temple? The curtain was torn in two. The, the curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy place. This new and living way. It was, it was purchased by Jesus' body, which was this curtain. It was this new and living way that we have access to God. And because of that, we have confidence to enter God's presence. Now let's talk about that real briefly. Confidence to enter God's presence. I want you to kind of hear this as a Hebrew might have heard it. How many of you have read the Old Testament? Just raise your hand if you've read any of the Old Testament. Well, most of you. You've read the Old Testament and you understand the, the Levitical system. You understand the tent that was given in Exodus. You understand the holy place, the most holy place, the court, the temple complex, that when Solomon built it, it was built according to a design and that there's this sort of rectangle where there's a, a holy place, there's this outer court, and then there's this most holy place that was um, sheltered by this curtain. And within the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant, Right? It had the Ten Commandments in there. Uh, it had the mercy seat, which was where the two angels covered the top of this, where the presence of God was um, said to be uh, physically, geographically located upon the earth, was on this most holy place. And it was a big deal to walk in there. Right? Uh, you remember Second Chronicles, uh, a guy named Uzziah said, well, I'm just going to go in there. And uh, Uzziah, he goes in there and... and um, all these priests are coming around him, but they're not about to go in there. And they snatch him out because the instant he walks in, he becomes a, a leper. His skin is immediately affected. And this is merciful what happens to him. Uh, you think of a guy, I uh, forget his name, but he, he went out to steady the cart that the uh, ark was sitting on when it was being brought back from the Philistines. You remember that guy? And as soon as he touches Uzzah, right? As soon as he touches the ark and tries to steady it, he's zapped immediately. God's presence was not something that anybody could walk into. Even Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock in Exodus 32, 33, 34 in that area. He, he has to be hidden because nobody can see God and live. And so for this guy to have the audacity to say, let us enter into his presence with confidence. 
Even the high priest wasn't real confident. Right? He wasn't even real confident to go in there. He had to, the whole week leading up to the Yom Kippur, the one sacrifice a year when he was allowed to go in with the blood of an innocent lamb. Can you imagine how nervous that guy was all week long? He was mindful of everything he did. He was mindful of every sin that he committed because this guy did not want to be in any way undefiled because he knew he could lose his life. It's an unverified tradition. It's not biblical. We don't know this for real. But people say that they would strap a chain to his leg and if he walked in and they heard him you know, hit the ground, they would just sort of pull him out. That's, that's an unverified church tradition that kind of originated in the 15th century. We say that though, because there, it was some, somewhat true that there, you didn't just go in to God's presence confidently at all. There was no confidence or very little confidence to go in. Uh, you, you probably remember the part in Luke chapter 1 when uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, uh, you remember he was from the division of Abijah. He was a rural priest. And these rural priests would come into temple service uh, for a week out of the year, twice a year. And as they would do these temple responsibilities, they would cast lots and one of them would be chosen to go into the holy place, not the most holy place, and they would light incense. As this guy does that, he's a long time in coming, right? He doesn't, he doesn't come out for a long time and the people are worried that this guy's died in there. And then what happens when Zechariah comes out? He can't speak and they think he's had a vision and it was this major deal. And then he goes back to his hometown as just a regular priest. This was the seriousness with which a Hebrew would hear this passage. Now let's read it again. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now knowing all that I just shared with you, you can walk into God's presence right now. Now, boldly, Hebrews 4 says, with confidence, not based on a righteousness that is of your own, but based on the righteousness that Jesus Christ's blood covers you, that you are covered by the righteousness of Christ and you can, you can go into prayer at this very moment without fear. You could walk into God's presence at this moment because Jesus' righteousness covers you. God gave you His righteousness that you didn't deserve. He took the sin that you had, put it on His Son, gave the righteousness of His Son, and put it on you. And you think, well, I should be praying all day long. Yeah, right? Of course we should. You have access to God, Ephesians 2. You can can be in His presence. And in His presence, there is fullness of joy, right? Right? And yet we neglect that. We neglect the very fact that you can go with confidence into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and have fellowship with God the Father. And to us, it's just, oh well, just just another sermon, just another day of prayer. Listen, hear this like they would have heard it. Have you ever seen the video of believers in China receiving their first Bible? Have you ever seen that video? Uh, they're at great peril, at great cost. Bibles are translated into their language. They're, they're sent in through um, missionaries and different people in, in, in um, 
uh, suitcases and, and there's this video of a, of a Chinese believer getting their first Bible and they open it and they're kissing it and they're dancing and they're, it's amazing for them to have gotten one, I won't rip it, but it's amazing for, I'll rip this thing, is if they had one copy of the Word, just one piece of it, they're, they're just relishing it. They, they, they can't believe how good God would be to give them the Word. Um, that's just the Bible. They, they treasure God's presence in a similar way. You probably have 14 Bibles on your shelf, right? You probably have two in your car and one in your trunk and six versions on your phone and, and it just doesn't wow us for some reason. We don't treasure what Jesus accomplished for us that you can have access into God's presence. But the, this wasn't lost on the original hearers here. They heard all this argument and got to 10, 19, and 20 And when it said we can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way, we have confidence that we can enter into God's presence. Then he gives us these three commands. Now, don't let the let us fool you. It's not a suggestion. It's not um, uh, saying let's let's just do this. You think uh, the most famous let us verses in the Bible, Genesis, where he says, let us make man in our image. Um, That wasn't God just amongst the Trinity, kicking around the idea of creation. It wasn't a suggestion. It was, we will together. And so based on all that Christ accomplished for us, this author of the book of Hebrews gives you three commands that we are to do amongst the fellowship together. The first one, let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. That is not... Uh, coming to God with um, a false motive. If I come to God, then I might get the person that I'm hoping to get. Well, if I, if I come to God with this motive, He might give me a better job. Or, or if I go to this church, I might get more prospects for my business. Uh, or We don't come to Him with these false motives, but we come to Him, let us draw near with a true heart. That is, uh, I'm a sinner who's been redeemed and I long to be reunited with my Creator. To have a relationship with God the Father in a way that nothing else will satisfy me. He can satisfy me. We draw near with a true heart. The second thing he says is draw near um, with full assurance of faith. That is, you can walk into his presence just like a child can walk into their parents' room in the middle of the night and say, I had a bad dream. Or, uh, I, I need a drink of water. Or, there's no hesitation there, Right? Kids just they're just they're just gonna come on in, ask what they want. Doesn't matter if you're sleeping. Have you ever had that weird feeling? Something looking at you when you're asleep, and you look up and you see you see somebody staring at you, and you jump a little bit. What do you want, right? That's the confidence that you have to go into the presence of God because of this new and living way. You can you can walk straight in with full assurance of faith. And not only is your parent gonna get up and get you a glass of water, read your story, or do whatever you do, but they're going to do that for you and, and that it's not going to be a bad thing. That's just what parents do and they love it. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an uh, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In all those ways, Jesus accomplished that for you. He, he cleansed your conscience. You can go into the presence of God um, knowing that your sins are forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9 If I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to... Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. And you can sleep with a clean conscience because of what Jesus did for you. You could go straight into his presence with full assurance of faith, heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and your bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, the second let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for the one who promised is faithful. Now, just an observation about this. Let us hold fast our confession. That's the whole point of the book. That if you're a believer and you're struggling, hold fast your confession without wavering. Why? Not because you're faithful. Not because you have the strength. Not because um, there's something about you that's able to grit your teeth and struggle through this. Why are you able to hold on to your faith without wavering? Because he who promised is faithful. He's, he's hesed. He's steadfast in his love. And he uh, is as likely to reject you as he is to reject his own son if you're in Christ. John 10 says he holds you in his hand. and Nothing can snatch you away. You can hold on because you're being held. And that's good news. Let us hold fast this confession because the one who holds you is faithful. And finally, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to love Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the corporate part of your faith. And we lose this in America because we, uh, we go to one grocery store until something happens that bothers us, then we just go to another one. Uh, we go to one movie theater until it starts to smell funny and the seats don't recline and it's not, you know, all the, so we go to another one. We, just, we have loyalties to the next biggest, best, and brightest. And so this consumer mentality carries over into our church life. And so you're tempted to, to say, oh, you know, I don't like this, uh, this room. I don't like the way the songs they sing. I don't like that there's lighting this way or decorations that way. Or, and so I'm just going to go somewhere where I like it, where I'm happy. And they have, you know, lights or fog machines or a better musician or a better speaker or a better pastor. And we just kind of have this mentality that we're just going to go wherever it's best and wherever we like it more, and if, if it doesn't meet our needs, we're just going to go somewhere else. This, this would be a completely foreign to any of these New Testament Christ-following communities, that you would have an option as to going where you like the worship better, or going where you like the teaching better. It's just, it's not that way. We are connected to a body of believers that God has called you to, I mean, it doesn't have to be this body of believers. I would rather you not be here if God hasn't called you to plug into this body. We don't need two noses. We need two ears. We need two eyes. We need two feet and hands. And, and, but the body is complete. And it's incomplete if you're here and you should be down the road. And it's complete if you're here and you're supposed to be here. There is a connectedness that God has a will for where He wants you to plug into the body of believers I've been reflecting on these quotes from Sam Alberry's book, Why Bother with Church. And it's, I quoted a couple of them earlier. If you want to understand how committed Jesus is to the church, here's your answer. He doesn't just create it and let it be. He marries her. Church is not his hobby. It's his marriage. He continues in some of these other quotes. The membership of every local church is no accident. It is by divine design. 
There is no one there who is a spare part, a third foot, or a second nose. That's why I keep saying those things. There is no one there who is not necessary or who doesn't need the rest of their church. He says the very things that make church hard work are often the things that make it great. He says the only perfect church is the heavenly assembly. And this does not meet at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, uh, a short drive from your house. So until you're called to join the great throng around God's throne, you're called to belong to a church in which others will get things wrong, and so will you. If you're looking for the perfect church, this is not it. (laughs) Uh, If you're looking for messed up people who love Jesus and, and who are forgiven and redeemed and are being sanctified and are at various stages of their Christian faith and their walk, you'll fit right in. If, if you're okay with expressing grace and giving each other lots of grace and mercy and yet not compromising truth and yet walking together in, in these relationships where we're vulnerable and where we're not all, don't always have it together, but we're willing to walk together because we're called to and, and we love Jesus and we want to work all this out together as we're called to, this might be a place for you, but it's not perfect. And it's not going to be what you desire it to be because you have a personal preference or me as well. Sam Albury says church is not for your entertainment as a consumer, but for you and others to find encouragement as a contributor. He says it's almost impossible to overstate the positive impact you can make on others if you are committed coming to church looking for ways that you can be an encourager. What if you came in here and you said, How can I encourage you? How can I stir you up to greater love for Jesus? How can I stir you up to greater works? How can I contribute to your growth and sanctification today? Rather than going out and getting in your car and saying, "Eh, not one of his best sermons. I didn't really get fed. Maybe try somewhere else next week. It's the wrong mentality. Are we praying regularly for our church? The answer to that question is a good indication of whether we're coming as Christ followers or as consumers. You need a church, and there's a church that needs you. In God's church, we find something worth being devoted to, an embassy of God's kingdom, a family of God's people, the bride of Jesus. It's remembering what the church is and whose the church is that makes hard work, glad work, and keeps us joyfully devoted. Isn't that good? The last thing I'll quote from Sam Albury, a good book. Uh, Once we grasp Christ's deep affection for the church, we cannot help but begin to share it. All of this is accomplished because of Jesus' blood and sacrifice. We can draw near with God with confidence. We can stir one another up to love and good works. We can do all of these. Hold fast the confession because He has promised His faithfulness. So, Father, we worship you this morning for your word, that it's not, it's not beyond application. It's not that we can't do these things. We can do all of these things because of the new and living way that you opened up for us. And it's because of the blood of Jesus that purchased this way for us that we can know you and walk with you and, and have grace and mercy in our relationships with each other. And we need that. We need to belong to a community that doesn't have it all together but worships one who does. And so for that reason, it's our joy to lift you up, Jesus. Not to fix our eyes on each other, and not to squabble over issues that 
are really not vital to the mission of the gospel, but to come together to worship the exalted Jesus Christ under the care of his word with the people of God. So we thank you for all those blessings in Christ. Would you let us realize them? Would you help us to be a more committed, devoted part of your body in anticipation of the day when we walk the aisle and see you, Jesus, at the other end, ready for the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's our prayer that we would be prepared and ready, stirring each other up for good works and encouraging each other, maintaining our hope without wavering in faith and drawing near to your presence every day. Thank you that we can do that with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen.